This is a podcast for the moments in life you say to yourself, now what? We will uncover hard topics such as fertility, infertility, the challenges it can bring to women in marriages, miscarriages, abortion, womanhood, identity, motherhood, and more. Wherever you're listening, we're so glad you're here. Now here's Kristen Comstock. Hey guys, this is Kristen Comstock with the Now What Podcast, and we are here to talk about some of the difficult topics like fertility, infertility, motherhood, womanhood, um, maybe even something like adoption, abortion, rape, molestation. We're going to talk about all these topics, and today we're going to be focusing on the topic of infertility. Um, So before we get started, I want to welcome our guest, Beth. So thank you for coming today. And I just want our audience to get introduced a little bit to you before we get started. So you're a wife and a mother. So tell us how long you have been married. Tell us how many kids you have, how old they are, what their ages are, and everything like that. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Um, Yeah, I've been married to my beautiful husband, Daniel. We got married on Christmas Day. Yes, on Christmas Day. That's a fun day to get married. 1994, so we're heading on our 28 years this year. So I get cheated out of a Christmas gift and an anniversary (laughs) gift. No, just kidding. Um, We have um, about five years after we got married, we started to have a family and we started with adoption. We knew even before we got married that we wanted to adopt. Mm. We assumed we'd have some homegrown ones and we'd Mm. also have some adopted kids. And it came time to plan our family and that's what we started with was um, through through special needs adoption. Mm -hmm. So our oldest two are an African-American brother and sister, Jacob and Kaylee, and they're almost 24 and 23 so grown-ups we got them as toddlers and a newborn and then the next two are um, caucasian brothers that were also out of foster care sam and luke almost 21 and just turned 19 and um, the next one is from china her name is zoe and she just turned 17 and our youngest is manny he will be 13 very soon like a teenager and what's amazing about him is that they didn't expect him to live to his first birthday so everyone is truly significant so all of our children um, are all six are adopted and all with special needs that's amazing Um, so and then tell us a little bit about what you do your occupation your your background tell us a little bit about you yeah so I actually have a PhD in a non-medical field and I have a theology bachelor's and a educational psychology master's and then my PhDs in training and development and mm-hmm. in a business context minor in statistics so basically I was wanting to learn how do people learn how do you best teach how do you capture that in a business environment and mm-hmm. I was doing that happily for for many years and then I started collecting all these children and my <laughs> and my emphasis really started to change and I was more interested in um, adoption and then it became how to talk to the spiritual parallels of of the heart of the father for for adoption and how we're all adopted and so I started doing that then it became more about special needs and special needs and medical and so now for the last 10 or 12 years I've been um, doing things as national patient advocacy advocacy and patient safety and mm-hmm. I'm currently the executive director of a of a patient safety organization so what is that exactly what do you do when when you give me that title what is it that you do Yes, yeah, so on a particular topic, for example, the one that I'm in, in most invested in right now is things like um, 
it's called parenteral and enteral nutrition, mm-hmm. which is like IV nutrition and um, tube feeds. Okay. So you're hearing about all the formula shortages, for example, people mm-hmm. that are fed by like a G-tube, that's formula that goes through there. And so there's a national crisis mm-hmm. right now with shortages and so forth. And so we advocate um, to the FDA or these other organizations to say, what do patients truly need to live their best life right. and quality of life, not just in the hospital, but out? And so that's the main things that I do right now. Mm-hmm. So patient safety, keeping them safe, um, whether they anywhere along the, the line, whether they're in the hospital or they're at home. Right. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> So what I heard was you're very, very intelligent and smart. And busy, did you hear that too? And busy, and also you do something that really is benefiting, maybe even people that can't, there can't be an advocate for themselves. Yeah, well, it's funny you even say that because like even the the bracelet that I wear says be a voice and it's mm-hmm. from the Proverbs 31.8, which says speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. So my youngest is the most complex medically. And so he's the reason I got so far down the rabbit hole with some of these patient safety issues. Right. And I say to them, you know, like Manny has me, but the kid next door doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the, the grandma down the hallway, they don't have anybody. So how do we advocate for them too? Right. And whether that's in the medical world or that's in the spiritual world, I feel right. like that's my, that's, I feel like that that was my mission statement that right. was given for life. Why do I do what I do no matter what it is, what right. the topic is, is to understand, make it simple and, and identifiable to other people right. and speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. I feel like that's my purpose and calling in life. I love that because there may even be families that they want to be an advocate, but Mm -hmm. they might not, you know, you have the people that just don't have an advocate, but then you have the people that they have family members or friends that want to be an advocate, but they just, they don't know what they need to know or they don't know how to be an advocate. Um, So I think that's really amazing that you do that because it is so important for to be a voice for somebody that can't be a voice for themselves. I agree when you're when you're in the middle of the crisis, the beginning of the crisis, no matter what that is, whether mm-hmm. that's the topic we're talking about today of infertility or you're talking about a miscarriage or any of those things or medical. Right. It doesn't matter when you're in the heat of it, it's really hard to know and see beyond the pain right. to what what I, what should I be doing? What could I be doing better? Right. And right. so I feel like it's almost like there's a road that's got potholes those who've been down that road before, we need to recognize and say, there's a pothole here, what can we do to fill that for the next person? And the next person comes along and says, wow, what a beautifully paved road. And I love that, just for somebody like me that comes from a military background, and um, I know I don't by any means have the worst of the medical things that I deal with from being in the military (laughs) by any means, but I do have lifelong issues that have come from that. And you know, you look at that process, and there's definitely not necessarily advocates, nor is there like a smooth process to get the help that you potentially need. And so, I really love talking to somebody that's actually doing it and making a difference and being an advocate for somebody that needs that. So, what's why I applaud you for doing something like this right now is making a space for the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's these are conversations that people are trying to avoid, right? Um, They're not necessarily plugged in places. We don't know what we need. You don't know what you um, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So how do you go get that information if you're not even seeking it? So when you make a space for something like this to talk about these tough topics, but 
or is very common. Right, right. We, you make a space for it, and that's beautiful to have these conversations. Yeah, especially when, like you were saying, if you're in the middle of a crisis, like if you're, you know, some people have been, are recently on an infertility journey, mm-hmm. but some people have been walking this for 10, 15, 20 years. And so when it's a topic that's avoided, there's things that are missing that need to be talked about whether it's healing, whether it's what do I do with these emotions, whether it's what does God say about what do I do with these emotions, like, you know, all the things and you know, because you've been walking this journey, but you know, you're so right. It's, it's, it's avoided. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a good, I haven't actually said it that way, but Mm -hmm. that's a great way to um, taboo. Yes, yes, it's so true. So um, as we begin to talk about this topic and it's very very common it's it's you know there's statistics on it which i'm not going to read statistics today Mm -hmm. but it is more common than people think and it some people don't know that they even have it till they have it um so it's more common than we think i know for myself you know i didn't experience or realize that there were some infertility things that I was going through because I wasn't trying to have a baby. (laughs) Exactly. So like I didn't know until, honestly, until it was too late, you know, Mm -hmm. had I explored or discovered some of these things sooner then it may not be the issue that it is today. Um, So not everybody even knows and it's very common because there's so many types of infertility diagnoses. Right. um, From PCOS to... Um, you know, if somebody has found some sort of ovarian cancer or something like that, and they have to have, you know, ovaries removed or, you know, whatever the case is, right. uh, to um, premature ovarian failure, people going into menopause sooner than they're supposed to be. So, I mean, there's so many different types of elements that come into play. And one that doesn't really get talked about, but it's very, very common is and Americans are stressed out people so then there's just the element of just not necessarily ultimately and this is probably not the most beautiful way to put this but uh not taking care of ourselves Mm -hmm. mentally emotionally spiritually Mm -hmm. because we're busy doing all the things because it's life and we gotta work and we gotta take care of kids or we you know right there's so many things you know i own a business or you know i'm i'm being an advocate for somebody else and so i don't have time for myself or whatever the case is and so that's really what we're going to talk about today absolutely so i want to start with you kind of introducing us to or giving us somewhat of a summary of your now what moment in regards to your infertility journey so we got married. I mean, I'd never even kissed anybody else. How's this for? We're going to go in the TMI category today, <laughs> right? Like I'd never even kissed anybody else until my husband. And so I, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a, as a good girl. You know, right. you do all the things right and all right. this. And so at some point you're going to get married. We did check. Okay, now it's time to start a family. And you start, okay, how do we want to do that? Right. So again, I don't even know if I have infertility issues or not. It right. never occurred to me that I could. Why would I? Nobody right. in my family ever had. And so then you start to go, hmm. Uh, 
how do we create a family? And so we had never been on birth control. We had never prevented pregnancy since the day we got married. Mm -hmm. But here is a few years in, and we didn't really think anything of it because we weren't actively trying so all of a sudden you know we say hey it's time let's start a family we decided that adoption would be the way that we wanted to start but again never preventing pregnancy it wasn't until almost 14 years that we had been married Mm. that um and i'm busy with all these kids and Mm -hmm. you know life and i'm like you know hmm it might have happened by now right 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 but we also had some financial things and all that i didn't have health insurance through any of this time um no fault to my husband but just it just life happened and we didn't have health insurance i had a pre-existing condition at the time you can't get it if you're self-employed so i didn't even get checked out my husband and i never got checked out so even all those things that you just listed another one the medical world loves to use the word idiopathic Mm. which means we don't know right um mine would be considered idiopathic because i was never diagnosed i never Mm. went to find out like should i be doing something different or something like that and so here i am all these years later so when i ended up pregnant one day it was my miracle pregnancy Mm. you know i i hadn't really been quote struggling so much i mean i was starting to get worried i was starting to get concerned i mean i was there i would have loved to have gotten checked out i started having a little bit of a heartbreak about it Mm -hmm. but not enough that i even talked to my husband about it Mm -hmm. it was just personal and private that i started feeling more and more like a failure Mm -hmm. um, but not enough to diagnose it and say anything about it so now you (laughs) mentioned adoption so kind of swinging back around to adoption at a young age, you knew you wanted mm-hmm. to adopt. That was something that was important to you. So it wasn't like you were only focused right. on having a child naturally. You're like, adoption's important to me, and we'll have some kids naturally. So let's just go ahead and start the process for adoption. Exactly. It wasn't, and I know that sometimes with infertility, that's the little thing that nobody wants to talk about either. Is that like adoptions is a is a substitute. Mm-hmm. In fact, oh, you're having trouble with infertility. Oh, we should adopt. There's lots of kids who need it, which is the truth. Right. But that's not a substitute, and it right, shouldn't right. be seen that way. Right. But it's sadly talked about that way right but yeah i read an article in reader's digest when i was 15 and that was talking about little girls in china who hadn't mm-hmm. who won't be adopted just because they're little girls and i thought well that's dumb right when i met my husband we talked about adoption and homegrown children before we even got married and knew right. that our path was going to have both okay that was our path we're going to have both. both so when it was five years in or so when we were starting to plan our family do we actively try to you know go down the infertility route the fertility route or do we want to pursue adoption and we just felt like god was leading us towards starting there okay and so and just don't prevent pregnancy along the way so it was never an alternate from our path the alternate off our path is that we never got the homegrown kid we thought we would have right so the adopted kids were always part of the plan right the infertility was not my plan right right, i still wouldn't plan that right yeah and um just back to adoption being a substitute is so true and i know a lot of people that are like we want to do both Mm -hmm. and then they have trouble with actually getting pregnant um or they adopt and then they get pregnant later but it is so important that this doesn't this conversation doesn't take anything away from the children that you do have this is a different element that has affected you right. in a different way. Right. And I think that's what gets messed up because people will say, well, but you have six kids, you're good. And it's like, 
I am so happy that I have the children I have. And my desire was to have a child naturally. Well, actually, most people, it's actually the opposite for me, is most people say in horror, well, didn't you want any of your own? Right. With disdain in their voice, to which, of course, I have to say, all six are my own. Right. But I know what they mean, but it it's a painful conversation. It is. And I don't think that that, you know, the stranger on the street is where I want to bear my soul right then. Mm-hmm. And so I shut down the conversation. But it does right. leave a little prick in my heart. Right. Of course, I wanted children that were, that had blonde hair, blue eye, look just like me yeah. and a combination of me and my husband. To this day, my husband will still say that he wishes we had a child that looked right. just like us. Right. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, it doesn't take away from the children that you have. Mm-mm. And people don't know. You know, somebody that's talking to you that doesn't know you and doesn't know your story, people say, I mean, let's just be honest, people say some really stupid stuff. Hurtful. And they don't realize how hurtful it is yep. until, well, they sometimes they never un- understand. You know, uh, my husband and I, we've been on a journey to start our own family, and I've talked in some of the po- last podcasts about us having a miscarriage. <laughs> and we were, you know, we've done a lot of stuff in faith for the children that we're going to have so like the house we're in right now it's just two of us it's way too big for the two of us but we've bought it in faith that god's going to fill our home absolutely and so recently we went to a dealership and i had a bunch of car issues and so it of course we ended up trading our vehicle in and getting a new vehicle and it's a big vehicle it's a big suv and of course, the person there says, oh, how many kids do you have? Oh, yeah. And what that person didn't know is that I'm praying that we get to fill every single one of those six seats in it. But right now, every single one of those six seats are empty. Absolutely. You know, and so it's things like that that you encounter. And a lot of times what I do is I shut it down with jokes. Me because too. it's the best way that I can not cry in the middle of a dealership mm-hmm. and everyone look at me like I'm crazy. And so a lot of times I'll say, oh, we're working on it, you know, um, or something like that. But the pain that actually comes with that is not something I can probably even describe. Mm-mm. And it's a pain my husband doesn't carry. He has his own, I'm sure. And right. he, he doesn't want to talk about it very often, but he carries it in a very different different way. Right. He isn't the one that was supposed to carry the baby. It was me. So it feels like a failure straight on on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. But what you said there is, you know, there's that line about faith as two people prayed for rain, but one carried an umbrella. Mm. You know, one of them truly expected the miracle. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what you did by buying this house mm-hmm. and buying that big SUV is you put it out there. God right. could still say no. He could still right. say yes. Right. But you made room in your heart and mm-hmm. your family and your home and in your car for these miracle children that you still expect to come. Right, right. No, it's so true. Um, so let's go back to when you were younger and we're going to kind of begin at the beginning and move on from there. Um, you had talked about, you know, your, your mom had originally miscarried her first child and then after that she had you and you had talked about, uh, experiencing some guilt from that. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So my mom was actually married to a different man first and had my sister easily had no problems so then she marries then my dad Mm. and immediately upon getting married they they get pregnant and it isn't until you know years later i was probably three or four i've known the story my whole life Mm. they say it in just 
and a beautiful story of, hey, we were pregnant right away, we miscarried that baby, we got pregnant with you, and then you were born. And they said it as this beautiful story. You know, nowadays they call it a rainbow baby if you're born after a miscarriage, mm-hmm. and they see it as, as a beautiful thing. And it probably is. The way I took it, though, is I felt guilty for being born, and that other that other kid didn't get a chance at life. Mm-hmm. And that that I never was able to even articulate that to my family. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever told them that. My mom's now passed. I don't have the chance right, to. Right. But I literally carried that as guilt that I existed. And I felt mm-hmm. like I had to do enough for me and that kid, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to carry. And so I, I, I point that out only for families that when they do go through miscarriages, it's it's a beautiful story to tell the next kids. Mm-hmm. Don't put extra things on that kid right. and be aware that that they may carry that 50 something years later. Right. Unintentionally. Right, right. Especially if you're like, you're gonna be so amazing because we lost so and so and now we have you. And so then it's that expectation of like, well, now I gotta be amazing. <laughs> now I have to be a rainbow for my family. Right, and I know that's not what they mean, but right, I'm telling you course, as, a, as, a, course, as a rainbow as, baby, that's how I took it. Right, And maybe right, not right. everybody does, but right. I, I did. I yeah. took it personally. Yeah. Um, and that can that could be the case with anything. I mean, <laughs> let's be real here. Parents can cause wounds. Um, moms can cause mom wounds, and dads can cause dad wounds, and siblings can yep. cause sibling wounds. Yep. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely something that we can carry for a long time without sure. even recognizing we're carrying it sometimes. Um, no, it probably wasn't until I was dealing with my own infertility and when I had my own miscarriage that I started to really face that and be able to articulate it. I, I'd carried something that I didn't know how to articulate, and right. then I was finally able to put words to it. Right. So fast forward, you and your husband are married, and at what point did you actually go through your first adoption? Um, and was that through fostering or kind of tell me a little bit about that first adoption? Yeah, so we had moved from Ohio down to Florida and I, I get down here, it turned out to be July 7th, 1998. And my husband was wrapping up things in Ohio. And I remember a couple of days later, I was in, I was crying one day and just saying, oh. our baby, our baby's born. Our baby is out here. We had not even really specifically talked about wanting to adopt right, right. then, but we knew soon. Right. I mean, he's in a, the wrong state for me. Like, clearly, this isn't a good time to start a family. Right. And I remember calling him on the phone, just just brokenhearted, saying, "Our baby is out there and needs us, and we got to go find this child." Fast forward, we started looking into adoption, and we didn't know about special needs adoption. And mm-hmm. we found this beautiful adoption agency that was specializing in placing um, foster children with special needs into families. Okay. And we said so we wanted one. Well, surprise, we ended up with two. Um, so both uh, Jacob and Kaylee okay, came Okay, because your as, first adoption yes, was a pair. Which we didn't know we were getting a pair, but Jacob was 18 months and Kaylee was two months old at the time. And because she, he was legally freed for adoption, but she was not. Okay. Um, we had to go through a, a three extra weeks of paperwork in order to do um, foster care, having never intended to do foster care, but right. just to be able to get her. Okay. And so they were placed with us. Well, back to that July 7th, when we got him and we started, he started being placed in our home, his birth date was July 7th, 1998. He was oh, born the day I moved to Florida, and it was a couple days later that I started feeling this like intense 
pull that oh said gosh. our child has been born. And I was right. I didn't know it for a year and a half. That's amazing. I was but I knew say, it was so born. At what, so was it a year and a half later mm-hmm. that you guys actually were legally had finished all the paperwork and that they were yours? Yeah. Well, they had, that was the start of okay. being to okay. us because there's a placement piece. Right. And then there's, you know, later you go through formal adoption. Right. And all that. So he had been placed with us a year and a half later. But literally, I looked at his date of birth and I was like, I know that date. Oh so literally, gosh. I feel like God had told me, you know, your child he is did born. Tell you. Yeah. And, and confirmed it with his birthday. You just the, hadn't met him yet. Yeah. 18 months till I found him, but I was looking for oh. him that whole time. So, okay. So you have your first two. Yep. And then do you, because I know that at some point you guys also experienced a failed adoption slash foster so did you adopt the next two first or kind of give me that timeline so we had several failed adoptions before we got to jacob and kaylee and so there were several and they're very long complicated stories but the gist of them are um a birth mom had picked us and then i flew to where she was out of state and at after the baby was born she changed her mind which is a beautiful thing for her and I'm, I, I truly believe that children should stay with their families. Yes. They should stay with their birth families, their parents. If not them, they're their birth family. If right. not them, their race, their culture. If not, like, so right. by the time these African-American children came to me, trust me, they had, you know, had a lot of places that could not take them. Right. So I was thrilled for that woman, but just devastated and brokenhearted for me. Right. Um, but the next one was, you know, we had quite a few that were, um, failed adoptions before mm-hmm. they even came into our home. And just a pause on that yep. piece. Because, and so the reason we're talking about this is it kind of intertwines with the infertility that mm-hmm. you experience and how that affects you. And so there's some traumas there too mm-hmm. because, you know, and we we did discuss a little bit like really God's ultimate intention right. is that you're with the parents that he intended that you were created with that you were intended to be with that's that's his ultimate absolutely uh, goal for each of his children here on earth but there's also some traumas in this um and you told the story earlier about um going to the airport to pick up the child and then um somebody asking you where the baby was and what they didn't know is that you the the birth mother had changed her mind Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that story of uh, where at at birth, you know, she chose to parent the child, which I, you know, looking back all these years later, it doesn't sting. I am thrilled that she chose mm-hmm. to put, and I hope that child grew up great and everything is well and life went great. Right. But in those moments, I felt like a failure. I felt devastated. I didn't know where to go. I was like off 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 center. And so yeah, at the airport, I had that car seat and it was empty. And I know the man was just minding his own business, wanting to see a cute baby. Right. And it was like, where's the baby? And I'm, I burst into tears and never did explain to that mm-hmm. poor man what happened. But there were several others. So eventually, we, when we were placed uh, with Jacob and Kaylee, you know, life got really good for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And it was like it filled that hole uh, for a while of all these failed ad- adoptions. This was meant to be. Right. This is where I'm supposed to be. And then so from there, because we had the foster license, they asked us if 
Murphy would do shelter care. So a couple kids came and went that way, of which didn't really devastate. It was while they're in my home, I'll take care of them best I can. But it's most, more, more like a niece or nephew. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to pay for their college. Right, right, right. I'm going to keep them safe <laughs> while they're with me, but I'm right. going to send them along and, their way. And, and that from was the fine. start of that, you kind of knew those yeah. children are yes. there for just a short period of time. So right. you, you, knowing you, get the beauty of giving them a safe, loving, caring home yes. while you have them. And that was kind of your job job for those children was to show them God's love while you had them. In the meantime, and yeah, we could spend a whole episode on just those kind of things right. because some of the, the traumas that we watched of these children and some of the horrors that that these children had already been through, you know, will just will break your right. heart and change you forever. Yeah. I mean, I came from a very clean cut, easy, good life, right. and to see these devastations of these kids. Mm. But after that, we ended up with the next two came through foster care because a foster like this, one we were supposed to only have for a few days, um, he came to us um, and let's see, he was 19 days old, the mm. year of 9-11, so he was born August 31st, so the day of 9-11, we were called and said, hey, can you take this kid? Well, he'll be 21 this year, so that oh was him. Gosh. And then the next one was because it's his biological brother. So when he was born a year and a half later, he was placed with us as well. Okay. So meanwhile, the infertility story through all of this kind of stuff is that um, we still have not sought any kind of doctoring. We haven't seen any sort of care, but I'm had, also a little bit busy with a lot of kids. Right, at this point you have kids coming in and out and you also mm-hmm. have four yeah adopted children um at what point at up to this point had you gotten pregnant yet no okay so no it happened right after the fourth one so when luke was luke we got luke at two days old and it was very soon thereafter it was i think he was about five months old when i find myself pregnant so when you're pregnant how long have you and your husband been married 14 years 14 years Mm -hmm. and you get pregnant Mm -hmm. and tell me what that was like so here's our miracle like if you've been praying for something for your whole life, like I have never not seen myself as a mom. Mm. I mean, from the early on at 15, I knew I was going to be an adoptive mom, but at, at birth, I mean, I was the one that was playing with all the kids. I was the one that I knew I was going to be a mom. I was right. part of my calling. Right. And it just never occurred to me that it wouldn't at least be some part would be homegrown. So here's my miracle I've been waiting for right. my whole life. It's going to happen. I'm 30-something years old, and I'm just like, here's my baby. Right. And I remember, like, here's one really quick story is we were, um, I made salmon one night. It was a Friday night. I made salmon, and I was thrilled to death as I was skinning it and taking it off and then throw up and then skin it and throw up. And it's a stupid thing to be excited about, but the morning sickness, I mean, I wanted to enjoy it every single thing mm-hmm. every stretch mark every throw up every, piece every nausea because that was what i had been wanting well then why am i gonna right not want even that part i know that's weird to no, be thankful no. for but no 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 and i do it. understand that because when you've been i mean my husband and i haven't been as long on the journey but i know like when we finally got pregnant i know i was like even praying for some of those things because when you're waiting for so long, you just yeah. want to know that it's actually real and it doesn't feel real because yes. like you're not big, round, and pregnant not yet. yet. You know, you just know that you are based on whatever test or, right. or however you're feeling. And so you you do want to feel all those things, even though, you know, you have friends and stuff that are like, oh, I never got morning sickness and like blah, 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 whatever. So uh, I was excited about it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we for us, we peed on the stick and it was all exciting because we, you know, we we finally got that positive. I remember being in shock 
and thrilled at the same time and then telling my husband and making a big deal of it and then uh you know just going through all the all the things starting to tell my family mm-hmm. even though it was really early on i wanted to claim early on right. not wait till oh it's safe because it never occurred to me that anything would go wrong i had right. been praying for this for so long why would god let me down now so let's talk about that. So there's no question you're gonna have this baby. Absolutely. Like, why wouldn't you? Duh. This is your miracle child. Yeah. Yep. So what? Tell me a little bit about what happened with this child. Yeah. So I'd had all the regular tests and things were going well, and you know, heartbeat and the whole bit and all the little stages that you go through. And then one day I started um, having um, some pretty bad cramps and bleeding. Um, like severe pain. I knew mm-hmm. something's wrong. We go to the emergency room. They say, yeah, everything's still fine. Oh, really? Yeah, at first it was all fine. So there's a couple of days of that. I still continue to hemorrhage. Uh-huh. I end up going back a couple of days later. I'm starting to get lightheaded. I'm losing so much blood. And long story short is um, somewhere in the process, I started to, to miscarry. They call it an incomplete uh, um, abortion, which is a really unfortunate term at this mm-hmm. point, but my body wouldn't let go, and mm-hmm. so there was no chance to to keep keep the baby. Uh, the baby's heartbeat's no longer there. The baby's no longer viable, but uh, my body won't let let go. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because that mind body connection. I had wanted this for so long. Mm-hmm. I'd wanted this for so long, and I was. I was beyond devastated to even believe and let myself think that this could be happening. So I kept believing, like, no, God's going to save this. He's going to rescue this. I don't know how, but he's good. He's right. part of the Red Sea. He can do right, this. Right. This is nothing. And I think it it has to be common. It has to, because I, I know I've felt the same things where you're on this fertility journey for the, uh, however long. Yep. And if you do get pregnant, if you've gotten that far to where you get pregnant, miscarriage is not like in the car i mean i know it wasn't for me i'm like i've been through all of this so like obviously we're Done. gonna have the baby like it, yep. the journey's over at this point i just gotta make it through the next nine months yep and so you're not expecting to even have to de- you're already dealing there's so many mental and we'll talk about it but there's so many mental emotional spiritual physical all the battles that we face with infertility that when you do finally get pregnant you haven't thought i mean i know i didn't think about all the what ifs if we don't have the baby i was just like oh okay great and next step is to have the baby you get pregnant you have a baby period end of story it's not i mean i knew miscarriage existed like i said i had already you know my mom had shared with me about hers i know it exists but if it's a miracle pregnancy especially it's the child you've been praying for for all this time it never occurred to me so let's pause here and let's talk about let's talk about those effects let's talk about the mental the emotional the spirit let's talk about the effects of struggling to get pregnant naturally Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Now What with Kristen Comstock. Be sure to turn on your notifications so you don't miss the next episode. See you next time.